0: Hello, little business before we start the show. If you'd like to support the podcast, find us at anchor.fm forward slash magical podcast. We're also on Instagram. There's some links there. If you'd like to share the podcast, that would be greatly appreciated. There's a lot of easy links to do that on our anchor site. Give us a subscribe there. Give us a subscribe wherever you listen and if you find anywhere to rate and review us that also gives us a lot more opportunity to share what we're doing over at magical so thank you so much for your support and of course check out the show notes where you can find links for our guests material and support our sister podcast Lilith Left Hand you can follow them at lilithlefthand.com they have a new website hope you check them out take care Hi and welcome back, Magical Relatives. This is your host Paul V
1: and Jessica.
0: And we have a guest today. Uh, so a lot of times we're just Jessica and I, but uh, today we have a we're fortunate to have a guest, Dion Wright. Uh, now Dion is a founding member of the Oregon Holistic Nurses Association, which I've been a member for three years now, and um, they have added so much to you know my practice and you know just offered me a little different ideas to expand. Not only uh, who I, who I am as a nurse, but really who I am. So uh, I'm really fortunate to have Dion here. Uh, Dion has uh, worn many hats in nursing in, in a variety of different uh, areas. I did mention as a founding member of Oregon Holistic Nurses Association, so already bring like often bringing holistic nursing and holistic just whole holism to nursing in general and um, and then also uh offers what trained aromatherapist um trained in multiple healing modalities uh what, what how else would you how else would you describe yourself dia
2: <laughs> well um some would say maybe a jack of all trades but really um it's been a journey and that journey has expanded my uh, awareness and my um my healing capabilities uh, for myself. That was really where it started. So it's all been um, to my benefit so that I can share. So I'm a, I'm a leader in, in the holistic community. Um, That's probably, I mean, that's my um, that's my value that I bring to nursing now.
0: Yeah. Uh, now, did you did you have a background in holistic care prior to entering the nursing um, field? Well,
2: so I've been a nurse for 49 years. Mm. So no, <laughs> not before I became a nurse. But in 1988, I was at a burnout point and I had been a nurse for only, well, I, I had been practicing full time for about eight years at that point. And I felt like there had to be more. I lost that little flame of um, inspiration for nursing. When I met uh, Bonnie Wasorek, and she has been a, pre, a presenter at the AHNA, the American Holistic Nurses Association before, and she developed as her master's uh, program, uh, pro, uh <laughs> A clinical, she calls it the clinical practice model, but it was centered around the patient and how to uh, look at the patient as a whole. And it was supported by a lot of different documentation. And I, when the first time I heard her speak about what she uh, had developed, I was, I was fired up and I knew that it would, the way that she was suggesting that we do nursing, I knew would have made a big difference in my life when I was 12 years old and my father died suddenly and traumatically. And so I knew that that I wanted to be that kind of a nurse. So that's where my whole uh, connection with holism began. And then it wasn't maybe 10 years later that the hospital I was working for wanted to go for magnet status. So I was very interested in that and actually became the leader of that program, which eventually because we are a rural community and we don't have access to uh, programs that would allow us to do um, uh, initial research, or um, we decided to go the, the route of the Pathway to Excellence, which is another program that the a, um, a NCC uh, support, but it's much easier to attain at the local level or I mean at the rural level, but not, I mean, it's still very rigorous program, but it has that element of research taken out of it. So that we achieved, it was all about supporting the nurse so that the nurse can give the best possible care and creating. Spaces for self-care within the facility, uh, supporting nurses being uh, in the decision-making groups, not just the uh, administration or the physicians, but nurses being co-leaders of those teams. So where the rubber hit the road, the nurses had a voice. And um, they have recertified a third time now. I'm not working at that facility anymore, but it's going through. So it feels like a real legacy for Holism at that point. And then in the middle, somewhere in the middle, or maybe not, I guess it was like 1997. My, my life experiences changed when I was in a severe car accident, had to have uh, neck surgery, shoulder surgery, hand surgery, and then fractured my neck after it was repaired. Uh, so that whole experience really. Um, took me to the place of realizing uh, time to take care of myself, time to learn how to heal myself. And that's when I began studying aromatherapy. It's kind of amazing
1: how we, in, in our culture now, wait until someone has to, like you have to have this traumatic experience. Or a really bad illness in order for that's the impetus for self-care. It's that's not right. built into our system, it's not taught to us as we grow. It's it's like, oh my gosh, now something is really wrong. How can I implement self-care? And we're adults. And so yep. unlearning so much of the conditioning and the the reliance on what is productive in yeah. our society is is, is is really difficult to unravel, and it sounds like that is so true for your experience as well.
2: Well, it, it it is definitely, and so I've made it part of my life mission as a grandmother because I didn't teach this to my children to teach it to my grandchildren, and and I've been you know ever since ever since this happened to me, I've been um, working with my children about because I have three girls and a boy and and just helping them realize that there's more to life than being pr- productive as you say and now my grandchildren when they turn 18 they get a self-care kit <laughs> designed specifically for them and uh yeah um I'm behind a, a couple of grandsons be, no just one grandson um because of COVID and all of that, but it's, it's, yeah, it's one of the things that I'm wanting to help my young, younger generation pick up on sooner. It is really exciting
1: that we get to, to, to talk to the new people and, and witness them growing up with tools that we did not have and that we wish that we had, um, and that we developed in, you know, as we got older and I can't, it, it makes me more excited for the future because then they have the tools to have communication and to know what boundaries are. I mean, I didn't learn what a boundary was. till I was almost 40. <laughs> yep.
2: yep. I'm with you there. Yeah. <laughs> yep.
0: So, so then, so your path led you to aromatherapy. And so what, what, what do you think was the inspiration for seeking out that modality? At that
2: time? Well, that's a really interesting question. When I was in high school, we had a biology class, and there was like, I don't know, maybe four weeks on botany, or maybe it wasn't even that long. I've always been drawn to flowers. Flowers have just, I've always been connected to flowers. And in that botany um, section, we had to go out. I lived in a rural community at that time, um, just off 101. And in California, and there were tons of wildflowers, and so we had to go out, and either press them and identify their parts, or draw them and identify the parts of the plant. And I loved that so much. I remember thinking, I wish there was some way I could make a living doing this. That was in the '60s, <laughs> and I, so it was just very be, just beginning to be brought to the United States at that point. Aromatherapy was, and so. Um, I just always had, a you know, a leaning toward that. I mean, my dad, when I was just, you know, in, as a pre-adolescent, we would go out into the um, hills when they were full of wildflowers and just picnic and enjoy that. So that, I was raised with an appreciation for flowers and uh, plants. And so that had, uh, I had been introduced to aromatherapy. When, before we came to Oregon, I was working um, in a facility in California with a nurse who, who showed me um, acquainted me with my first, my first, um, essential oil. And I was just entranced. And so when the time came that I had to be laid up for weeks at a time in a collar and a, you know, all of that, um, it was my opportunity to start studying. And so once I got to the end of my own self-study, and was able to move around more, then I found a program in uh, Fair Oaks that was a great program. And um, once I completed that and had the hours I needed, then I sat for the national exam and became a registered aromatherapist at that point.
0: Yeah. So, and now, did you have a personal practice before that? Like, did you have a daily practice where you set aside time for yourself? And
2: No. no. <laughs>
0: oh, okay. And did it lead you to one?
2: It did, yeah. Yeah, it definitely did. And yeah. just connecting with, I learned to connect with the spirits of the plants. I was at a an aromatherapy workshop, where it was actually an international conference, actually, and we were led through a, a meditation by a, an aromatherapy leader, and. What happened was I felt presences all around me, little ones, tall ones, I mean, in everything in between, just, just like giving me lots of love. And at the end of that meditation, um, the leader asked our experiences and, and what he said is if the plant spirits showed up, they chose, you don't choose the plant, they choose you. Yeah. And that was a real affirmation for me that, um, that I, that was one of the things that I was called to do was use the essences of plants for healing. Do you
1: also work with flower essences? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Because
2: I'm a pranic healer also. And, um, the organization or the, um, the, the leader of that, um, whole, community has developed some flower essences to work specifically with the pranic healing process. So I, I work primarily with those, but you know I use others as well. Um, Perilondra is another one that I use particularly for the is the brand name of the um, woman who developed her process. And I use it for soil and, and um, the plants themselves. When they needed a boost, um, I actually had the opportunity to see a tree that was nearly dead come back to life in using my energetic abilities to connect with the tree and use the perilandra plant essences. So um, it's it was it, I even I even wrote a book for children about that because it was so powerful. I just have to get it illustrated. Um, yeah, it was amazing. So yes, I do work with flower essences.
1: (laughs) I love this. I love this so much. It just, you know, um, it's kind of amazing to me how many people live with an animistic framework for the universe, but we don't all know what that even is. Mm -hmm. Um, But so many of us open up to that and then live in that. And you start talking to people and you're like, oh, yeah, me too. I talk to the tree. It's, It's really good. And We've had some energetic experiences together. And I'm, I just, I really love bringing light to that subject because I think sometimes people open up to that. You know, you're having this amazing meditation and these spirits come to you and show themselves to you. For some people that can be really scary or mm-hmm. strange and they don't want to talk about it. So that the more we talk about it, the more common it can become. So that, that kind of like harmonious, energy can can get out to everybody. That's beautiful. I just get excited about yeah. talking to trees and stuff yeah. because yeah. everybody that listens to this podcast probably knows me by now that you know I I love working with plants and you know when we go blueberry picking I'm always like am I allowed to pick some blueberries? <laughs> <laughs> Having like an energetic exchange with these plants um and I I just want that to I am attempting to um, promote the world I want to live in, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's the world that you live in and I live in. And I want everyone to be allowed to live in that world too.
2: Well, I had experience once with a tree that it feels like it should be something that would be important to share. And that was I was, I was walking along a hillside and was passing an oak tree and just felt her energy was so much bigger than her and so I skirted the path to give her room and I felt like she yanked me to her and I'm like okay and I stopped and connected with her and asked her what was it that she needed and about that time the part the man that I was walking with um, had sat down because I told him I needed I, or something I needed to just give me a minute He had his binoculars and all of a sudden he started talking to me and I was getting like irritated because he was interrupting, you know, but then I realized what he said. And he said, Oh, the tree had said to me, she wanted to give me a blessing. And what he was saying was there's an Eagle circling, came out of nowhere and is circling above you and the tree. And I looked up and sure enough. So then I went back to connecting to the tree And within about another 15, 20 seconds, he says, there is another one came from the opposite direction and they're both circling above you. And I was just, I I was in awe because eagles are one of my power animals in my shamanic work. And so it was very powerful for me, a powerful thing um, to have experienced. Yeah, he was, he was in awe.
1: I love that story. I love that story. And it points me in the direction of, I know earlier you mentioned um, that some of the things that happened to you in your life and burnout is what led you to kind of really look into yourself Mm -hmm. first, right? Mm -hmm. Which then opened up a whole new wider world for you um, and your experience. And so, you know, I think there are so many of us that walk around and and this oak tree could have spoken to anybody, but we don't have ears to hear it. Right. And you have developed the ears to hear that tree and to see that kind of universal affirmation mm-hmm. of the oneness of the all or whatever you want to call it. Because yeah. we're always so lacking, right? Yeah. yeah. In this conversation. Um, how did, so you started that inner journey with aromatherapy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then how did, what did that lead you into? Because it sounds like you do, your practice is vast.
2: It, it is. I Yeah, I, I have a lot of tools in my toolbox. But I think the thing that probably catalyzed everything was that I was raised in a very fundamental Christian church that was very strict. And I struggled the whole time until I was in my 40s that it was oppressive and that it was um, not feeding or nursing my soul. And once I began to really allow myself to go in that direction because of course it was sinful to to even think about that. Um, I uh, doors opened up for me and eventually I left that religion and had, you know, Sunday morning and Wednesday night free and it felt like a vacuum. And so I knew I had to do something. Interestingly enough, Sunday morning was not as difficult for me. I I easily used that space for just being quiet with myself. But Wednesday night was more difficult, and so there was a class on um, EFT, the um, the uh, Emotional Freedom Technique, and so I I took that class, and that began my journey with, um, energy work. And it was in class on Thanksgiving weekend when I was meditating that I started having the Kundalini energy rise and I had no idea what was going on. And so I called my teacher like, what's happening? (laughs) And so that was exciting. I mean, it really was exciting to feel that connection and with myself and with, um, the divine within it it was, it was powerful. Um, and then after that class, I became connected and acquainted with a, a shaman who I took the basic class. I think that was like six months long. And then we took an advanced class. And then at the end of the advanced class, we went on a a vision, it wasn't really a vision quest, but it was a quest to Mexico. We went to the Teotihuacan pyramids and then over to Tiposlan. Then I went to Zihuataneo to really integrate it and came back a completely different person. I really did. And um, I had had a soul retrieval by a friend who was in my class. And in that soul retrieval, the black panther came as my, one of my power animals. Wow. And that is very symbolic of a shaman. And I was in resistance. I was like, I can't, that's not, I, uh-uh, no, I, <laughs> until finally I realized it was well, not going away. And so I might as well surrender. And so that's, that was a big lesson too. It's like, I can resist for a long, long time, but. I'm going to eventually have to surrender. So why not do it in the beginning? <laughs> so so um, I try to remember that. Resist only a little while. Yeah.
1: I had a very similar experience with um, Snake where I was really resistant to to that animal coming into my life, even though in Journey, it was literally following me. And I'm like, (laughs) that's not for me. That's not for me. And so I I think this idea of surrender is so important. Um, And one of the things that you mentioned about, you know, you were in your forties when it happened. Mm -hmm. And I think I've mentioned on this show with other people before um, something happens to women in their 40s. Um, I don't know if it's like in astrology, you could say it's like you're, you're a Uranus opposition or whatever, oh, for sure. right? Or, yeah. Um, but something really powerful happens to women yeah. in their 40s that I I just find so fascinating that we really come into ourselves in that mm-hmm. way. Um, and so... I think it's great. I was like, "You're really confirming or <laughs> <laughs> affirming all of my thoughts right now." Um, I love this idea of you going and and seeing Black Panther because that is a a very, I would imagine for me that would have been a huge deal. So yeah,
2: very huge deal. I was in a course recently, no, a couple of years ago, and uh, my instructor was asking inquiring about shamanism and my power animals and I told him about the panther and he said well how does that manifest and I said you've seen it already because you've told me that I'm quiet in class that I sit and observe and I take it all in and then when I speak that it's very um, succinct and profound. That's the panther. Oh, he says. Oh, because, you know, they sit, they observe, they wait, they wait, they wait. And when time is right, they take action. Oh, so it's just learning the medicine of each one and getting familiar with how that ex- experience works in you to really be able to manifest that that um,
1: gift. Yes. And energetically, because you were speaking about Kundalini energy with that Black Panther, watching, observing, pulling in energy, gathering it, not using it until the time has come for yeah. that so that you would have all that power. You would have all this energy stored up. So powerful, really yes. beautiful, honestly. Yeah.
0: Now, can you speak more, I think it's come up, or the experience of soul retrieval.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and yeah, can you speak more on what your experience has been working sure. with people on soul retrieval, maybe even your own personal experience?
2: So what happens to us as humans when we have a traumatic experience, and again, trauma, as we know, uh, is different for each person. It can be a huge thing for one person and not so much observing it from the outside for another person. But trauma is trauma individually. And the way that we cope with it is to dissociate. And part of our soul energy literally goes to what we call the non-ordinary dimension. We are in the ordinary dimension. In shamanism, that's what it's called. And so that part of our energy leaves us in trauma, in a state of trauma, stays in a state of trauma. And it often contributes to things like addiction, to depression, to a lot of um, uh, illnesses that are chronic, because it's like we have holes poked in our energy field that, keep, we keep leaking energy out of. And so a shaman is trained to walk between the worlds safely and to be able to retrieve the soul parts or soul energies that are ready to be returned to the person. And so of course the person has to consent. And, um, and then when that there's it's a ritual that we do but um, in the bringing back of that soul part it takes some time usually for it to integrate and there's a process around that as well for the person to acknowledge and accept and welcome that piece of them but but a shaman will all a good shaman will always um, have a way of healing that soul part of the trauma before it's brought back so that the person isn't experiencing that trauma all over again. Um, the energy of that is removed and healed. So there might be still memories that need to be integrated as the shadow part of us that becomes our medicine but the energy that is so triggering is healed before that, inner, that, that piece is blown. We blow it back in um, to the body and through the heart chakra. At least the way I was trained, through the heart chakra and the crown chakra. Um, so um, it, my first soul retrieval um, occurred in 97, I think it was. And I was found under a log deep in the forest. Um, And then um, the sole animal, the animal that came back, the power animal that came back at that time was the rabbit, which was all about fear and how to make fear an ally. And that was really important because being the way I was raised, fear was a big part of my life. And it has been um, beautiful to work with that rabbit energy.
1: One thing I would like to just add on to something that she said that is so powerful is that trauma is trauma. And so there is this idea that I think sometimes people think that the experience that had maybe shaped some of the self that they, that is not serving them. It wasn't that big of a deal, right? Because as an adult, you look back at it and you're like, that's not a big deal. Yeah. But as the person in the moment that experienced that, it was everything. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. And so that shaped the, the part, the self, That we are now. And what we want to do is go back and get the self that we were before that experience happened. Right. Yeah. We have these emotions and these feelings, and people around us, they're not taught how to deal with it. I mean, I know as a parent, um, there have been times that my kids are doing stuff that I'm not acting in a way that is supportive. Mm-hmm. Of them. I'm trying really hard now being aware of it, but I wasn't always aware of it. And so, it, it, you know, we can easily develop these parts of the self or missing our energy, right?
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: need to go back and get it. And so I think that that really important factor of like trauma is trauma, and you don't, you don't. It, of course, looking back, looking with adult eyes, it might not look like a big deal, but looking through the eyes of the person experiencing it, you can really see how that kind of, I don't want to say fractured, because um, that makes it seem like you're broken. Right. <laughs> and we're not broken. We just right. kind of, the experience just allowed us to leave You know, some of us there. And mm-hmm. the other thing that I thought that was really powerful, is that talking about fear, um, especially if you are raised, I was raised um, Catholic. And I think that there is this idea that um, we know the universe through the eyes of God, like at some point in knowing God, we'll know ourselves. But for me, that doesn't really make sense. That's an inverse of the way that made it that made me whole Um, knowing myself allowed me know to know the divine without myself without being confident in who i am and knowing myself and and really communing with rabbit right seeing fear i couldn't know myself and i couldn't know god or whatever word (laughs) we're using right
2: right i definitely agree with you um that was true for me as well, until I was able to um, get out from under the oppressiveness that was, you know, my whole growing up life and married life as well. Um, I, I had no idea who I was, and I knew that what I was taught as a prayer wasn't getting above the ceiling, and I had no connection with anything divine within or without. Um, And so there was constant um, turmoil, constant turmoil. So once I was able to face the fear of a lost eternity, quote unquote, (laughs) and move beyond that, then I was able to really feel connected for the first time in my life to the divine source energy. Yeah. It was, it was very profound for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to speak on the comment that you made, like, yeah, it's, it's, we're not broken. In fact, if anything, the fact that you had those experiences and you kept that there shows something that worked, you know, cause you didn't have, it wasn't that time for you to heal from that. Like it was an experience for later, like it's supposed to work that way. And then when you can bring that up that that aspect of your shadow you can work with it and you're not going to heal it because it's going to pop up again but it's something that like every time you work with it
2: well and something that i've found really powerful is to embrace those parts of the shadow because until i do i'll be separated from myself um and then embracing it integrates it and I can use that medicine for a power aspect and and that's something that is an an in it's not intuitive to want to embrace those parts of our shadow so it's one of those things we just have to allow to happen
1: and just to remind us of our own our own power and our own lives because so much of the time growing up we are not empowered we are disempowered and that is a part of how this happens and so going back to those places and seeing ourselves um, in this new light of man you were really not in a place of power but i am you're safe now Because Mm -hmm. I can make choices and I will keep you safe. Mm -hmm. I have power. And that doesn't mean that bad things won't happen to us because that's not the way the world works. Bad things will happen. But we are allowed to have choices now and get to choose how we react or rather, hopefully, respond to the choices instead of reacting, right?
2: Yep. Well and I going back to something you said Paul, um, I have a really strong belief I didn't always have this, but this has developed over time that I made certain contracts before I ever came in and that was part of the part of my course, my shamanic course, is when I went to the um, not the birth gateway but you know prior to the birth gateway where I actually, was sitting with my counsel making these um, choices about how how I and what how I wanted to live in this life what I wanted to accomplish what I wanted to learn and so that's a knowing that total knowing it goes beyond believing it's a knowing about what I chose before I even was incarnated and so there's a trust factor that helps me not be uh, impatient with having to have waited until I was 40 or um, or the other piece has to do with what I love um, having heard called the cosmic kitchen. When you put an order in to the cosmic kitchen. Um, you just put the order in and you know you have confidence that it's going to be prepared and delivered in the divine right time. Just like most of the time we can count on in a restaurant. You don't just constantly ask the waiter every five minutes if it's ready. And so, <laughs> you know, that those two concepts together help me be and allow a lot easier, not be in such resistance.
0: Yes, I, I, when I think of like the kitchen, picture, it's like, if it came out really fast, like, it's, it it doesn't come out how you want it if it comes out fast (laughs) like that.
1: Yeah, you need time to sit and hang out with your friends and have a conversation (laughs) and drink your water and your tea. And I really like this analogy too. I've never heard of the cosmic kitchen. I like it a lot because like think about those people at the restaurant that are harassing their waitress. (laughs) They are the most unhappy people you know. I mean, so being patient (laughs) really speaks to your ability Like being patient in your own life, just like being patient in this cosmic kitchen is is just the difference between um, allowing yourself time um, and then it's that whole thing. Like, then what do you do? You're like, you have to be in the moment and then you have to figure out what the heck that means.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of that, that's one of the things that I think is really important for being resilient is being in the moment, being really present. And so what does that mean? If we're thinking about the past and fretting about the past, we're not in the present. If we're worrying about the future, about what's, what's maybe may coming, that's we're not in the present. So being in this moment, now it's not the same thing as, okay, this is what I and wanting for the future and put that order into the cosmic kitchen, that's not the same as fretting and worrying about the future. I, I, my little uh, um, uh, perspective or viewpoint on worrying is that it's just a way to go crazy on the installment plan. And so if you, if you can just let go of the worry, you'll have a better chance of staying present. It's expended energy that is draining you to be in the past or the future um, in those ways. Yeah, what are, tools,
0: well, what are the tools that uh, like shamanic healing and shamanic experience can, How do, uh, on the topic of resilience, how, how does it keep you? So we talked about like, or at least he talked about being present. Mm-hmm. What, what are the... What, can you speak more on that and maybe some of the other tools that it brings you to bring sort of resiliency? Because I think this is a good topic, at least, you know, you brought up um, amongst the membership at the Holistic Nurses Association. And um, it seems like a good topic, especially for just anybody. I mean, not just nurses, but like
2: yeah. healers
0: in general. Yeah.
2: Yes, sure. Um, I would love to talk about it. So I, you know, my experience has brought me uh to aromatherapy, to chronic healing, to Reiki, to um sound healing, which I learned from a uh shaman from Peru, and um, and the use of crystal bowls. <clears throat> so I do I, I use crystal bowls in healing as well as in space clearing. But um I think it's not, I, I don't use one specific modality at a time because over time I've integrated them all into kind of my own way of, of healing. And so one of the, I think one of the biggest um, tools that I use for myself personally and recommend for my clients is cord cutting. Cord cutting is a way of disconnecting us from other people, places, things, jobs that are draining our energy that either we've connected to or that energetic has connected to us without authorization. So anytime that there's an energy cord connected to us without authorization, it's drawing from our energy and it's depleting us. And so learning to cut those cords and help helps us to really get, um, more clear about what our energy feels like when we are in our own energy. What does that feel like? Some of us have no clue. So it's like, um, my, my chronic healing teacher calls it energy hygiene. It's like we brush our teeth at least twice a day. Most of us we should be doing energy hygiene for the same reason, to keep ourselves healthy and and able to hold on to our energy. And then when we're doing whatever it is that restores us, um, it could be meditation, visualization, crystal ball, chiming, essential oils. It can be two minutes. It can be an out. Whatever it is that fills you up and restores you, you get to hold on to it. It's not being drained off. So that's one of the big, big tools. Um, And of course, we talked about setting boundaries. Um,
0: We talk about that a lot here.
2: Well, I think (laughs) that was a real eye-opener for me because so many of us who are empaths are healers. And we don't know where we end and the other person begins. And so we're constantly getting mixed up in their energy field, their emotions, their traumas, their and we don't realize that what we're feeling, what we are experiencing doesn't belong to us. So learning to get familiar with what our energy feels like by keeping our cords cut helps us set boundaries because then when we are experiencing something that, oh, that's not me, it's easier to set a boundary then and help keep us... In a state of restore rather than depletion. So I, I teach all of my clients to do the cord cutting because it's just such a powerful tool and also teach them that, you know, the best thing to do is at least once a day, at least, but preferably twice a day um, before we go to bed, because the events of the day have a way of getting into the concrete of our brain when we sleep. So if we can do it before we go to bed. And then when we wake up, some of us travel in our dreams and we come into energies in, in the night time, in the sleep time that can deplete us. Um, I, I used to wake up in the morning with terrible headaches and there were several reasons for it. But one of them I learned was that I do healing in my sleep. And that is uh, my sleep needs to be for me to restore my body. And so when I wake up in the morning, um, I do the cord cutting and then at night the cord cutting, but then at night I also have another little ritual that I do that helps me call in, um, protection energies to keep me safe in my bubble, uh, protected. And that has helped significantly. So there's, you know, mindset is also a real important tool for resilience, looking at things as a calamity rather than as opportunities. And I know you've had Marina on here before Mm
0: -hmm. talking
2: about her astrology program, which is really powerful, which I participate in. But I think what I appreciate about her a lot is the way that she's able to look at the power of the, uh, the astrological positioning of the planets and the opportunities that they bring to us that many times are, are called calamities or you know, obstacles or, uh, or that. And so that has been a real important piece for me in being resilient as well. And I think the one that I think is the most valuable is getting clear about what you value when, when a person doesn't really sit down and go through an exercise to determine what your top values and priorities are, it's hard to set boundaries to, to, it's hard to make choices and decisions, but when you No, like, for instance, I recently, um, the end of 20 and into the first part of 21, I went back to work to contribute to the nursing, to the healthcare field in this COVID business and was working in an environment that in the beginning didn't seem so toxic, but over time administration changed the nursing administration changed and it finally got to the point that it was it was really a hostile environment a hostile work environment and one of my as a nurse as a holistic nurse clearly one of my values is to work in an environment that some supports and promotes well being and so It was not difficult for me to say when a change came my way that did not line up with my values at all, for me to say, you know what, that's fine, but here's my resignation because this isn't okay for me. I I don't need to be here. There was no fear attached. I I just had total clarity. Um, And so I I just have... over the years, really learned to appreciate having that structure of the value system clear in my mind that I can back into to help support me in making decisions that keep me nourished.
0: Yeah. There's so much of that. Uh, and cause I've, you know, I've been in different bases in nursing and when you leave there's that guilt that we sometimes take with us and I think that's a I think what you're saying is so true because if you ultimately know like like it's for me, I need this I'm I deserve this because i'm I'm clear about what I want as an existence like and and it's good and so it's okay for me to
2: take stay care healthy, take
0: care of me yeah.
2: I was able to actually verbalize that to the director of nursing. Um, well, she said, "We don't want you to stay if you're not going to be happy. You're just going to be getting more unhappy." I said, "Well, it's not about that. It's just that I know what I want and what I don't want, and I'm clear about that."
1: So and it's kind of amazing because I, th- when I would first think that I, you would hear, "Well, what do you value?" Well, I value like I feel like it's it seems much easier at first than it really is because when you start to think about it what do i value and some of the things that you write down well those aren't even my values that's like a societal value or a learned value like i must be here because i need to be helpful in this way when really I don't know. I'm sure and nurses, of course, like there is all this guilt that we get that we allow piled onto ourselves. And I don't know, but nurses, the nursing field, I'm not a nurse, everybody. I did work in a hospital for 10 years. I'm not a nurse, but
0: they've been your peers. Uh,
1: they have been my peers. <laughs> so I may speak to this a little bit. Um, but there's a lot of like, I want to say, And then not in a negative, I'm not trying to be mean, but like this martyr syndrome, like you gotta, well, I had to put up with it and then you have to put up with it. And I put up with all of this and this is what makes, and, and, and really, I remember one time I was in my old job and I realized I, I don't want to be a martyr, (laughs) I want to be happy now, and this is miserable, and people are being very toxic and unhealthy. And um, and I don't I don't I don't want to operate from that perspective. And I think that there is a culture in nursing and in hospital work in general um that you you operate from, from someone else's perspective of what is uh, what their values are. So then when you go, what do I value? It is really not easy. It takes a lot of time and introspection and sitting and thinking about where your values come from and why. I, I think it's so great that you do that with your clients because it's such a difficult unraveling.
2: It, it is. It really is. For even when they come to me, the one of the first things that I ask them about is, so what, what, what was, what is it that you want to gain from this session? Um, Because I, I always, beside working with spirit always, Mm -hmm. we work with intention because spirit can be guided by that intention without an intention. It's, it's not as powerful in many ways. And so unless they're brand new to me, they know that we're going to work on intention. So most of them now have learned to come with some idea of what the outcome is that they want, um, which has to do with their values. You know, that's, that's been a, a big part of helping them become fully nourished is Learning to work by intention, learning to live by intention, learning to what they do value, what do they really want, get clear uh, about those. The Cosmic Kitchen doesn't know what to provide if you just give them, you know, a a, a blank menu or a blank, you know, sheet. So when you put some detail in there, Cosmic Kitchen can provide what you're asking. Yeah. Yeah, and
1: we're not working, when we work with spirit, we're not working in this wordy way that right. we have to use these completely insufficient terms to, I mean, it's energy. And so there is this way of working with energy that the intention can come through. And if it's not clear, then the energy, y- you can't really have a good flow of harmonious energy if you don't know what it is right. that you're trying to do. Yeah, Right.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I I always think about like when, sometimes when I think I have an intention and it comes to fruition, sometimes it's sometimes you've made it like really specific and you thought that's what you wanted, but you didn't really ask enough, like, well, why do I want this? And then you end up getting it and you're like, well, I didn't actually, I got it, but I didn't want that. I guess I didn't really want that. (laughs) you know it's like yeah it didn't
1: give me the result that i <laughs> yeah. wanted like but it totally I, yeah yeah like sometimes we think you know you're looking at the result that you want so then you intend things instead of just going for the result like i am abundant you're like right. well i want this job that will make me abundant but we don't have always the right I mean, not the right, um, the imagination for all of the possibilities. We don't have the right. visualization of right. all the possibilities. We need to leave that up to spirit,
2: right? Like, Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And just a little um, side um, comment about the word abundant. Um, it was brought to my attention a while back that when we ask to be abundant just like that, and then we get whatever it was we were really dwelling on rather than what we were asking for so abundance can be abundant in everything the yeah. positive things the negative things so when we ask when we're asking to be affluent that's what we should ask for is to be affluent in because that's really what we're asking for So when we're, but when we're putting that word abundance in there, that may be exactly, we may get exactly what we've asked for, but in a different, because we're going to, it's going to line up with what we're putting our energy on. Yeah, that is such an important point. Um, It
1: reminds me, Paul does an intention group uh, with a, with a group of people that he has been doing these intentions with every week. Mm -hmm. And in order to get to the intention, they really Sorry, you should yeah, work on this. Yeah, we workshop. Yeah,
0: the, we, we just spend, it's like a, we're just like going through the sources. Like, well, what do we actually want? And what, what are we actually asking for? Cause you know, we'll do it for health or we'll do it for somebody's mm-hmm. job. And well, what do you want out of the job? So do you necessarily need the job? So do we, it's just like <laughs> yeah. us bouncing it off. And then it ultimately comes down. We come up with a bunch of phrases and then whatever somebody intuits is like, oh, I think I like that. Or maybe I like this and this and this and how we cool combine the
2: Nice. That. Nice. So it's
1: good to have other people um involved in those kind of ideas I think because i mean maybe maybe because we're newer at it we don't know but like it's nice it it reminds me of like you know if you want to some pe- like some t- i used to do tarot right mm. um, i mean i still have tarot and love tarot and talk to tarot whatever um but i would do tarot readings for people and then by the time you actually get them to ask the question that they want Meanwhile, it's very different from what they came to, you know, you're like, you're right. be very clear. And yes. sometimes by the time you get to the question, you've already solved the problem. <laughs> so that correct. workshopping with other people is really helpful. For yeah. The the whole, what do you value? What yeah. do you
2: intend? Really helpful yeah. stuff. It is. It really is.
0: Yeah. yeah. It just speaks to a lot to the just language and words and, just the power behind them. And so it's, it just caught, man, it just led, It just always, it just leads me to more and more different inlays and layouts of how everything works. And I'm constantly like analyzing what I'm saying, what I'm writing and it's fun. It makes life a lot more fun. <laughs> and,
2: and what I've learned too, is that the feeling that is generated by the intention is really critical. So when we come up with an intention, when I'm working with clients is I'm, I've, I've been guided to always take it back into the body and really have the client, um, observe how it lands in the physical body, because if it stays like, I don't believe it stuck in the throat or in the heart or someplace like that, then it's going to be much more difficult to work through it. But once um, I call it an internal dialogue where we go through that process and help to break through those um, sometimes, sometimes it just rests beautifully, but sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it gets really stuck in the, energy flow patterns and working through that with um, healing guides or chronic healing or, you know, other tools until the body really allows it and accepts it. Then the rest of the work goes, flows a lot more easily.
1: Oh, I think that is so great. And it just, you know, it's so nice to know, that there are people that can help you do that because we don't always we're not always in touch with our intuition Mm -hmm. um and so you know we could say this intention and it feels bad in our body but we don't trust ourselves enough to not say those words because you know it should work right this should you know we throw those words all over right? And so if they're, you know, going to someone that allows you and works with you and reminds you how important it is to feel that in your body. How does that feel? How does that sit with you? And the patience to really work out that we we don't need to do it right now. We need to take time and the thought and effort to really get to the bottom of it. And so you know, that is really important. It is important to work with people when you're not really in tune with your, when you're getting in touch with yourself and you're not Mm -hmm. fully, I mean, even I, I, I I think that I, I am pretty in tune with my intuition and I always workshop (laughs) my own intentions and thoughts with other people um, because of that. And I just think, I'm so glad, I just thought it was really great that you said that you ask people to really feel that in their body and that you're um, kind of teaching people how to feel um, and how to point out to themselves in their own lives, how, how, you know, what's true for them, because we don't get that a lot.
2: Well, and people who have had a lot of trauma and sometimes not that much um, don't live in their body. So, They, because it's, it's, um, it doesn't feel good to be in, in the physical body. So bringing them really fully into their physical body, um, well, backing up a minute is that if they, if they're not living in their physical body, they can't feel, they don't know how they feel. They can't identify how it's landing. And so then, then it means helping them really get into their body, really ground. And then they can start to feel and identify and observe and notice things that are new to them about all of that. Yeah. Yeah. So even for those of us
1: um, or those listeners out there that don't automatically feel into their body or into themselves, that there are plenty of ways for healers and teachers like yourself to help through that work yes. through that, to, to get into that space. It's not like, well, it's for someone else, it's for everybody. And there yeah. are teachers and helpers like Dion that will will help people get into that. Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I think this is a really fun talk. I I'd like to do it again sometime. Actually, this okay. is okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much for yeah. coming on and talking to us. I love I I hope that everybody, you know, wrote down, you know, the kind of your key ideas on being resilient, the cord cutting and setting boundaries and and working on your mindset and your value, like what you value because I think this is really helpful information for all of us. And um right now I'll, there's a lot of people that are living in fear, and so If we do have extra time at home because we are at home, then these are really good, you know, this is a good list of stuff for us to work on.
2: Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's been very delightful to share. And,
0: and, um, you know, I would like to take some time to, like, um, offer you some time to, like, share any of the things that you're involved in and any other things you'd like to maybe plug or promote.
2: How can people find you? Yeah. So I have a website. It is Dion's AromaBlends.com. No, um, no apostrophe. That's where I have my aroma, uh, aroma blends. My, I do my own blending as well as some uh, single oils. Um, I have a book on my website that I participated in. In writing, uh, it's an anthology written by nurses, and it's an inspirational book. Uh, it's very powerful, all from holistic nurses. Um, I am currently in the publication production of a set of um, uh, oracle cards for Yay. my yeah. Um, is spiritual cards that I call the fully nourished alphabet, spiritual alphabet. Um, it was inspired when I worked as a hospice nurse and I got about halfway through and then changed jobs and forgot about it and rediscovered it a couple of years ago. And I'm like, oh, the time is now to finish this. And so, yeah, I mean, it's in the production phase right now. And they'll be on my website when they're uh, published. Um, and I do I, I do have a, um, a, another logo, so to speak. Uh, I did have a separate website and then it got hacked. And so I don't have it now, but it's called the Fully Nourished Soul. And I'm hoping at some point in the future to get that website back up again. Um, I, I do a three day workshop on, on a, a, a life, it's a life changing experience. I don't have anything scheduled right now, but the first day is clearing uh, kind of like what we talked about with cord cutting, but really a deep, a deep clean and then, um, the second day is about connecting, so helping people really connect to their divinity, connect to source in whatever way it um, is their, in their perspective, in their belief system. And then the last day is about creating uh, what I call a spiritual um, prescription. It's, it's a self a self-created spiritual prescription, and I, I've created tools to go along with that to help. Um, but as a nurse, Paul, you might remember the the zone, the red, green, and yellow zones for cardiac, for COPD, for asthma, all of that. And I, I've kind of created it on that uh, um, that idea, so that we have we're in the green when we feel fully nourished and we're standing on our own two feet and we're in our power, but we're in the yellow. When we're starting to tip over, we're not fully nourished. We're a little bit off balance. And what can we do to get upright again? And then the red zone is when we've tipped over. We're just, we've gone flat and we need to get ourselves back up again. And you know, what are those emergency Uh, interventions that we can do that will help us get back on our feet. And um, then there's a transition period between being on the ground and being upright again. And so how can we utilize some of those different tools? And I have a big tool chest um, to draw from that people can try and see how it works for them. But um, it's a really, really powerful workshop. And I'm hoping to soon be able to it's really an in-person workshop so I'm hoping that eventually <laughs> we Sunday. can start doing that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: I love that idea of like be, like having that way to check in with yourself or just kind of just gauge how things are going with you.
1: Yeah, cool. and you know, you use nursing words for the nurses
2: and <laughs> nurses really need your this kind of toolbox to do Yes. And the frame of reference makes it comfortable. Um, What is, what is interesting is that when we get in this, the yellow and the red zone, you would know our brain gets flooded with, with those, all of those uh, hormones that just, we, we lose perspective. We can't think. And so what I've done is developed a set of cards that, one is for the green zone, one's for the yellow zone, one's for the um, red, and then one's for the transition. So that you can write down the things that you have learned work for you in each stage, so that when you're flooded, you don't have to think about it. You don't have. You can just go get your card, and you. Oh yeah. Oh right. And bring yourself back to a state of calm and coherence. So that's all part of the program, yeah. Oh, I love it so I love much. It. I
1: really mm. look forward to the time when you're able to offer that to people in real life
2: again. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: yeah, is there, yeah. Anything, is, else, anything that else you want to share?
2: Um, I don't think so. I think that's that's it. I, I might just uh, add that I am... Um I just really missed working with patients. And so I am doing uh, nursing again, real, real nursing. <laughs> um, and uh, I work for a home infusion pharmacy, which I, I worked for a home infusion pharmacy in the 90s and, and in just 2000 for 10 years. And, and I'm a, I've been a certified uh, infusion nurse for a very long time. And that's my expertise and my love. And so I get to um, do that again in the patient's home, see them in the home and help them with their IVs and have hands on, get to be using my energy um, skills with them, you know, in a way that they're not even aware of, except that they are able to benefit from it. And so that's a really feels good to be able to integrate all of that holistic those holistic modalities into doing patient care. It's, there's a, it's like a close, it's closing the circle again. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it, it, it is a different world working in a, you know, having a private practice than actually being out and working with ill people and being present with them and setting boundaries at the same time, helping them energetically settle. So yeah, I, yeah. I did want to add that piece. I yeah. am so glad that you and
1: other people that are like, have these different perspectives of the wider universe are out there with people and helping them take care of themselves. Like, listen up, magic cool podcast listeners. We're out there <laughs> taking care of you <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, yeah. And it's important. It gives you a good perspective to question what we're doing, yeah, why we're doing it in a whole different way.
1: Yes. And also still being really helpful in the way that you can because you're still a healer. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks He'll again so much for your time. This was Thank really you for really inviting
2: cool. me. Thank yeah. you. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, uh, you know, everybody that's been spoken to at the Holistic Nurses Association was like you have to talk to Dion. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> They just love you. Everybody just loves you.
2: Well, thank you. That makes me feel very, very nice, warm, fuzzy. Yeah. Thank you.
0: All right.